little over a year ago, in Birmingham, a bomb went off in the 16th Street Baptist Church and killed four little girls. Just a few months later, the president was assassinated. It has been six months since something happened in the Gulf of Tonkin, and ever since, Lyndon B. Johnson has been ramping up action in Vietnam. Eighteen days ago, on the 1st of February, in Selma, Alabama, Martin Luther King Jr. and hundreds of other black Alabamians were arrested for attempting to register to vote by order of Dallas County Sheriff Jim Clark. Remember that name. It will be important later. Just four days ago, Malcolm X was firebombed in his home. He will be dead within the week. This is the state of the world on February 18, 1965. There is something brewing in neighboring Perry County, which has also been part of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC's, effort to register African Americans in Alabama's Black Belt. By the end of the day, a man will be dead. His killer will not be punished for 45 years, long after the world has changed. There are moments in American history that become more than historical events. Washington crossing the Delaware, the Gettysburg Address, the moon landing. These are the moments we tell ourselves stories about. Images that become etched into our history books and into our national consciousness. What will happen tonight in Perry County will set the stage for one of these moments. The march from Selma to Montgomery has become iconic, in part thanks to dramatizations like Ava DuVernay's film Selma or John Lewis's best-selling graphic novel series March. In 2015, Barack Obama stood with the Edmund Pettus Bridge in the background and delivered a stirring 50th anniversary address. That's why Selma's not some outlier in the American experience. That's why it's not a museum or a static monument to behold from a distance. It is instead the manifestation of a creed written into our founding documents. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. The story of those days is one you think you know. It has become, like so many other moments, etched into our national story. And, like so many of those moments, we've forgotten the bigger picture, the larger tale. The fire that would eventually burn to the desk of Lyndon B. Johnson as he signed the Voting Rights Act of 1965 didn't start or end in Selma. It began in the rural counties of the Alabama Black Belt, a place with an outsized impact on the history of the state, the country, and the world. It's a story that winds its way through the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement, and the history of jazz music and literature. It's the story of a famous wedding day and a death whose circumstances seem all too familiar. This is the story of a little town on the banks of the Cahaba River that has woven much history and has the potential to chart a history that hasn't been written yet. My name is Samuel G. Reese, and I'd like to invite you to discover Marion. Yeah. Awesome. So this is where I'm trying to get a sense of like where we are. So the meeting was in. This was a meeting place, mm -hmm. and right across the street, right there, 
James Orange led students from Lincoln High, and they were like, they were standing at the courthouse, I think along the right side of the courthouse. Mm -hmm. So like, just out of view from where we're standing, um, was, would have been the colored entrance to the courthouse. So they would have been lining up there to register, and so a bunch of students were protesting here and singing, and then they all got arrested, and then that was the night that the big meeting happened here. So if you can imagine, what I was reading was that, like, so we're standing here, and this is a street corner. Um, the police cars and state troopers were making... Uh, sort of a, we're just looping around the courthouse all day. Over 50 years ago, this church was used as a meeting place for the Perry County Civic League, led by Albert Turner, who had been advocating and demonstrating for civil rights for several years. His early efforts to register Alabama's Black Belt region had created an infrastructure groups like SNCC could use to organize. Today, he is honored with a monument outside this church and in building and street names throughout Marion and the Black Belt. He is recognized by many as a foot soldier of the movement, working for change on a local scale that allowed a national movement to take hold. In early February 1965, just two days after Martin Luther King Jr. and a host of African Americans attempting to vote had been arrested in Dallas County, Reverend James Orange had led a student protest in Marion with similar results. James Orange was only 22, but he was a man of stature and heft, and he commanded a room. When told by police to stop singing freedom songs outside the county jail, which is located in downtown Marion, he told the crowd to sing another, and along with the students was promptly arrested. Adults protesting the treatment of their children were also arrested. After release, Orange didn't stop. On Monday, February 15th, students stood outside the courthouse, a gleaming white structure that stands in the middle of the square in support of adults attempting to register inside. It was here, on the courthouse steps, that Martin Luther King Jr. arrived, not for the first time in Marion, to congratulate and support the marchers. His arrival had raised tensions in Perry County. There was growing economic pressure on workers in the Black Belt not to be involved with the movement, as SNCC and the PCCL pushed for a national moment of reckoning to happen in the Black Belt. On February 18th, a Thursday morning, George Wallace had deployed state troopers to Marion. In their cars hung copious amounts of uniforms a sign that local whites would be deputized, or at least disguised, as state troopers in response to protest. Something would happen that night. You could feel it in the air. Yeah, so they started walking, and then they would have just gone, turn, when you come out of the church, you just turn right and go straight, yeah, and follow. Post office. Yeah, past the post office. And...
so it's only a block from the church. There's only a block march, yeah. which is like really small if you think about it. Like it's very short. We're three fourths of the way there at the moment. So, and all of this was here at the time, the post office and then the funeral home was here. Albert Turner and James Orange are not the only activists to come from Marion. In fact, Martin Luther King was familiar with the little town. After all, his wife had been born there, and they had been married on her front lawn. We went and visited her childhood home a few miles outside of Marion. Okay, so we're here. Um, it's like white, and it's got a brick porch. And I don't know, is that an awning? Yeah. A white awning. Yeah. It's like a one level. Lots of bushes in the front. Yeah, there's a store next to it, or what used to be a store. And this would have been like where we're standing right now, I think would have been where Martin Luther King and Curtis Cat King got married. Oh, cute. And you can like. You can tell a little bit from the way it's built, like those bricks back there in the back met she's bricks yeah. on the store and then like the bars on the window yeah, and the designs in that they match oh yeah yeah this is just like a destroyed grocery store it's just like totally someone must there. come by and take care of the grass at least because it looks fresh and fit bushes are overgrown and cars pass up to the house and walk Coretta Scott King was born in 1927 in Marion to Obadiah and Bernice Scott. They were farmers, and for a time they owned a small general store called Scott's Groceries that still stands. Her father, Obadiah, is remembered around Marion as the first black man in the county to own a truck. As a child, Coretta endured the injustice of having to walk to a small one-room schoolhouse while white children passed by in their buses. While her school didn't have much, she would eventually attend a high school that is known across the country. Like many of the marchers and activists in Marion, Coretta Scott had graduated from Lincoln High School. In fact, she had been valedictorian. By the time she had attended, Lincoln had been operating for almost 80 years. Today, after a fire devastated the campus following integration, what remains of the school is on the National Register of Historic Places. The auditorium is one of the only buildings left standing, but the Lincolnite Alumni Association operates a museum in memory of the school. It was founded by nine former slaves in 1867 as one of the first schools for African Americans following the Civil War. The school quickly established itself as a normal school, an institution that trained teachers, and was run by the American Missionary Association for many years. It was during this time that it became famous, earning a reputation that drew students from around the country. In 1887, the normal school component of Lincoln was moved to Montgomery and became Alabama State University. Many other historically black colleges and universities can trace ties back to Lincoln Normal, often through informal connections and educational legacies. By 1902, possible arson had devastated the school, and Principal Mary Elizabeth Phillips stepped in, working to restore Lincoln to its former status. Within 20 years, the school had grown from 150 students to nearly 600, and had a progressive and well-rounded curriculum that included baking, sewing, and carpentry for all students, regardless of their gender, in addition to the typical curriculum. As time went on, Perry County became more involved with the school's operation, and by 1943, the first black principal, Ernest Smith, was named, and all white teachers were let go. 
It was in this moment of transition, just a couple of years later in 1945, that Coretta Scott graduated as valedictorian, and it was racial tensions and discrimination that led her to attend college at Antioch in Yellow Springs, Ohio, and then at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, where she would meet her future husband. Just a few years behind her was another notable student, Jean Childs. It was at Lincoln that she met the man who would become her husband, Andrew Young, a preacher at the First Congregational Church, itself now on the National Register of Historic Places. It had been founded along with Lincoln Normal and had long-standing ties with the school. Andrew and Jean Young would go on to be advocates for civil rights and for children, and she would become the First Lady of Atlanta in 1981. She wasn't the first in her family to be an advocate in Marion, however. Her mother, Adela Joan Childs, was the first black woman to serve on the Marion City Council and received the Unsung Heroes Award from NASA in memory of the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Her house still stands today in Marion, and her gravesite is also here, as well as a place of honor in the Alabama Women's Hall of Fame. The Smith Building Art Gallery in downtown Marion is currently housing an exhibit featuring photos from the University of Alabama archives of Lincoln Normal. It's here you can see the school as it was in the early 1900s, alive and buzzing with energy. It's no wonder that thousands of African-American academics proudly trace their Ph.D. family trees to Lincoln Normal, and no wonder why there are alumni associations across the country that continue to celebrate the time that was spent there. The Smith Building is right across the street from the county courthouse, and if you had been standing in front of it on February 18, 1965, you would have seen the chaos of that day clearly. You would have seen James Orange leading another protest, standing with students around the Perry County Courthouse, once again singing freedom songs. Within the hour, he is arrested, and SNCC advocates rush from Selma to Marion. Tonight, there will be a meeting at Zion Methodist and a march to protest the arrest. People have begun to gather, as have men, in police uniforms. Two days earlier, there had been a confrontation in Selma. C.T. Vivian had led similar protests to the one currently going on in Marion. He had been attacked, had been beaten, by Dallas County Sheriff Jim Clark on the steps of the Dallas County Courthouse. And there, on national television, he had said something that would become a watershed moment in the civil rights movement. This courthouse, in this courthouse does not belong to Sheriff Clark. This courthouse belongs to the people of Dallas County, and these are the people of Dallas County, and they have come to register. And you know this within your own heart, Sheriff Clark. You are not as evil a man as you ask. You know in your heart what is right. You just refuse to do it because you want these people behind you. And as sheriff of this county, if you're deeply concerned, you will go call the register rather than keep people from standing inside. What you're really trying to do is intimidate these people, and by making them stand in the raid, keep them from registering the vote. And this, this is a kind of violation of the Constitution, the violation of the court order, the violation of decent citizenship. You can turn your back on me, but you cannot turn your back upon the idea of justice. You can turn your back now and you can keep the club in your hand, but you cannot beat down justice. And we will register to vote because as citizens of these United States, we have the right to do it. Tonight, C.T. Vivian will be a featured speaker at the meeting in Marion. Tonight, Sheriff Jim Clark will be there as well, wielding his cattle prod outside of his jurisdiction. A young man named Jimmy Lee Jackson and his family will be there too. That's next time on Discover Marion.
Discover Marion is produced and written by me, Samuel G. Reese. The voices you heard belong to Hannah Woodard, Katie Eves, and Nicole Gardner. Our music is Indian Summer by Lobo Loco and Stormy Blues by Arnie Bang Hussabee. You can find their music in the links in this episode's description and on freemusicarchive.org. The recording of Which Side Are You On, Boy? is from the Smithsonian Folkways Freedom Song Selma, Alabama, and it is the authentic voices of James Orange and the student protesters. Much of the information for this story came from Jimmy Lee and James, Two Lives, Two Deaths, and the Movement That Changed America, by Steve Pfeiffer and Ader Cohen. Special thanks to the University of Alabama Honors College, the David Matthews Center for Civic Life, and Main Street Marion. Visit discovermarion.org for more information about visiting these sites, as well as lodging, amenities, and dining in Marion. And visit the Marion Welcome Center to begin building your Marion story today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>